Hello, hello, beautiful people. Welcome to 321 No Kitten. Bobby the Awesome here. And we are still working on relationships. Today we are on step three, which is actually shorter and sweeter than most. And I'm going to read you most of what the book says because their words are better than mine in this case. But before I jump into that, I got to share with you, I went to... So I'm a member of Cafe RE, which is the Recovery Elevators private Facebook community. And Recovery Elevator, you guys met Paul Churchill on episode one. It's kind of his community. And it's freaking amazing. I mean, I'd love to set something up like that for you guys down the road. He, He has created an environment where everyone just kind of pitches in, shows up, supports each other. And then we learn along the way, which is really fun. And we had book club. We were working on Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. And we're going chapter by chapter once a month. And we were on chapter four this week. And I just had some freaking crazy aha moments when... We, we did breakout rooms and just chatted. So I'm going to give you my biggest takeaway and explain to you why I thought it was so valuable and why I'm sharing it with you. So the premise of the whole book, The Power of Now, is about being present in this moment, right? Because we can't change the past. We can't change the future. It's very similar <laughs> to the serenity prayer, but just positioned a little different and explained a little different. And... We were talking about levels of unconsciousness and consciousness. So consciousness is when we're being present, like when we're paying attention, we're doing the thing, we're mindful, we're in the moment. And then unconsciousness is when we're not. And these were some examples of unconsciousness. And and I'm going to share with you what I got out of this. So complaining, wanting to be somewhere else, being stressed, focusing on the past, worrying, overemphasizing goals, and being a habitual waiter. So what does this mean? Complaining. If we're complaining about something, chances are it happened in the past, right? Or maybe we're worried about something, which kind of all ties in, but we're not focused on the now. Complaining doesn't really make our insides feel good. It just... It's just a way of spewing and we're not being present in what we should be doing. And the premise came up of if you're complaining, like maybe about who you, where you are or who you're with, then change the circumstances, which goes into wanting to be somewhere else. Go be somewhere else if you don't want to be somewhere else. I mean, that's a big piece of why I keep traveling. I don't want to be in upstate New York in the freaking cold winter. I didn't want to be at my day job. So I left. Like that's, if I was in recovery, I'm not sure I would have done those things. Being stressed. What does being stressed do for us? I mean, it changes our physiology. And this is one I have to, don't get me wrong, guys. I've had experience with all of these and I need to work on all of them continually. But being stressed just doesn't serve us. Like we can take action or we can not. But being stressed just creates misery and we're not paying attention to what's in our control and what's right in front of us. Focusing on the past. If we're in the past, we're not in the present, obviously, but we can't change the past. So like, what's what's the point of hanging out there? Worrying, 
worrying is really thinking about the future. And again, things we can or can't control, but the future doesn't matter. What matters is this moment and we're not guaranteed more than this moment. So I kind of feel like we should hang out there in this moment. Overemphasizing goals and being a habitual waiter. I think these two go together. So for example, I want to move into an RV. Being unconscious about it would be, I'm not going to be happy until I'm living in an RV. Well, that's just silly, right? I could be happy in this moment in my apartment and make the best of it and keep traveling and be grateful, have a roof over my head and all the things. So those are some of the examples of not being conscious and in the moment. And here's what was mind-blowing to me. I don't know that Eckhart Tolle, I don't know tons about him, but I don't know that he wrote this necessarily for people in recovery. But when I look at this list, complaining, want to be somewhere else, stress, focusing on the past, worrying, all these things, they're all triggers. Triggers to use. Triggers to gamble, triggers to drink. It's it's escaping from the moment we're in. And I just thought that that was brilliant. I was like, okay, well, if I'm not here, and I tested this out. I was at Motor Vehicle yesterday getting my uh, test done for my motorcycle license. Now, Tuesday of this week, I was like psycho bitch from hell. I got my first vaccine and I went to go, I had to go get a prescription. My card was expired. I ended up not being able to get the prescription, which was frustrating. So then I had to make an appointment and that was ticking me off. And then I went to the phone store and ended up with leaving with more phones than I intended. I I had told them that I didn't want to upgrade into a, a crazy amount My phone had dropped and smashed on my way into the vaccine, which is why I went to the phone store in the first place. So it was like speed bump after speed bump. And I was just not a nice person in the phone store. I was like impatient. I mean, they could have done a better job telling me things and whatever and and trying to provide value and save me money. But they're not trained, evidently. Um, And I ended up having to go back to the store again yesterday And I still have to go back to the store again, either today or tomorrow. So yesterday when I was in the store, after going to the book club thing on Wednesday night, again, I wanted to be impatient, but because I had had this training or this book club, whatever you want to call it, I feel like it was some sort of a training or a learning, I handled myself much better. I went to go to the motor vehicle for my test. My appointment was at 9.15. They said the doors didn't open till 9.15. I went up at 9.11 and got in, but then I was in line till like 9.20. So now I've missed my appointment. Then you go and you wait in another spot and finally get situated. My lady was not very friendly and rosy. I'm like, okay. And I'm learning. I've really noticed that people's energy uh, really impacts me. These people who have not really good energy at all. Like there's a guy, a newer guy working at a place I like to go for food. And like when he's there, I feel like the plague is in the building. There's black cloud. Like I don't even want him waiting on me. He's just miserable. So anyway, so she wasn't full of sunshine and rainbows, but I go in the room to take the test 
the computer doesn't work. So I ask for help. They put me on another computer. That computer doesn't work. Then I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And the voices in my head (laughs) are telling me, just be present. I'm, I'm going through the things that I had learned the night before. Well, if you don't like where you are, change where you are. Okay, well, I really can't do that because I have to get this done. Okay, so just sit here. Why don't you enjoy the quiet time? Because they had taken away my phone, my watch. I had nothing because they didn't want me to cheat on the test, of course. So I really had this whole inner dialogue and it was just a good time to practice sitting still and slowing down and being present. So I get through that. They end up giving me a paper test, which, by the way, I passed. I only got three wrong. Not exactly my most stellar performance, but I passed. So I'll take it. So then I go over to the phone store where the door is locked. And I'm like, wait a minute. They open at 10. They told me they open at 10. Well, because people had called out out of my control, there was only two of them. And there was two people in the store and, you know, COVID fun hell. I couldn't go in. So they're like, wait in your car, we'll call you. So again, have to sit still, hurry up and wait, right? So I'm like, okay. Anyway, get in and then found out I now have to make a third trip. But the moral of the story was, if I didn't have this uh, exposure to this thinking, I probably would have been just as grumpy yesterday as I was on Tuesday. Well, being grumpy and having my pissy pants on does not help at all, even when things aren't going right or going my way. And that's just it. I can't expect everything to go my way. So I will recommend once again to read the book, The Power of Now. It's pretty interesting. Or if you're not ready for something like that, just continue to think about the serenity prayer because it kind of captures some of the essence of what I'm talking about. Okay, on to step three from the Recovering Couples Anonymous book. Like I said, I'm going to read this because there's a lot of good stuff in here. We made a decision to turn our wills and our life together over to the care of God as we understand God. Together, two people in a committed relationship form a coupleship, a oneness, a distinct and separate entity. This coupleship has a life of its own and needs to be nurtured. Couple recovery depends on this nurturance. Each partner needs individual recovery, such as meeting, sponsorship, support groups, spirituality, recreation, vocation, and individual interest. The coupleship needs these same elements for couple recovery. That was one of the biggest callouts and why I had a I have to read this all to you because I thought that was so good. So it's saying you have to be an individual and you have to be a couple for this couple recovery stuff to work. Trust is a major issue for most couples, since almost all couples have had trust violated in the past. Just as step two focused on what we decided to trust together, step three focuses on how we decide to turn our coupleship over to the higher power. So on step two, we worked on sorting out what is the higher power, who's the higher power, what do we believe in? Now it's time to relinquish some of that control and give it over to said agreed upon higher power. Letting go of outcomes is especially helpful. Many of us feel compelled to control events, believing that our happiness depends on resolutions favorable to us, only to find disappointment when the happiness we expect is only temporary or non-existent. In spirituality-centered coupleships, we simply do our best while leaving the outcome to our higher power. 
Some couples find higher power, higher power boxes helpful to visualize relinquishing controls. I'd never heard of this concept before. Couples write their relationship problems down and place them in the box, symbolically turning them over to the higher power. Similarly, some couples make a ceremony of burning their problems or having the tide wash them away. So it's getting rid of them. A lot of uh, treatment places will have you, or even I, I was in a miracle membership meditation kind of thing. They had us write letters and burn them and dispose of them. It's a way of of just relinquishing control over them. We just don't have the control. So burn them, set them free. It doesn't mean you get to hang on to them. Once you're written, once it's gone, it's gone. The practice of meditation and prayer, especially the serenity prayer, is the spiritual bulwark of most couples. Focusing on insight, courage, willingness, and acceptance seems to be the key to letting go. Becoming more integrated into a recovering Couples Anonymous group is a vital part of any third step. Sharing the fears and stories at group or sponsor level is an emotional letting go. It also allows us to relate to others, breaking our sense of isolation and uniqueness. No different than regular 12-step, right? Like it's, it's about not being alone, having a place to let it go. And a lot of times getting good advice or insight. Most couples go on a spiritual quest as part of their third step. These quests vary widely, but could include the following. Starting each day with thanksgiving or gratitude. Reading spiritually significant literature together. (laughs) When I was in my relationship, I actually bought this book and sent it, uh, not knowing that the demise of our relationship was looming. Meditating. Going to a house of worship or other spiritually significant place going to recovery groups, praying, or going on a spiritual retreat together. These quests could take days, months, or even years. We hope that our own spiritual outlook as a couple will begin to deepen. We encourage you to write down a quest agreement. This could be in longhand or printed, suitable for framing and witnessed by friends or sponsors. This is a truly warm, supportive, and validating experience for all. And additionally, they suggest that you take on leadership roles such as chairing an RCA meeting to share your experience, strength, and hope with other couples. Ultimately, step three involves turning our relationship over. Many of us find it important to do something significant, even formal, to to celebrate our spiritual renewal, such as rededication of couple couple vows in the presence of friends. This can appear This can occur anywhere, in a place of worship or informal. We invite you to be creative and have a personally memorable event celebrating your increasing commitment to each other and to the relationship. I love that they put this here in step three because our next show, we're going to talk about step four, which is going to be interesting because it's about taking inventory. And I can't wait to get into how we take inventory as a couple versus a single person. It's hard enough as an individual, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes as a as a couple. So that's what I got for you today. I hope that this was beneficial for you, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks, beautiful people.